morning. Welcome to Trace Church. So glad you guys are here today. My name is Corey, and I'm one of the teaching pastors. I also need to see our next generations here at Trace. And so, so glad you guys are here with me this morning. Uh, as some of you guys might already know this, uh, we are just hours away from what people are calling a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The solar eclipse, and it's happening like real close to us. How many of you guys are going to actually like go out and, and watch the eclipse? Anybody here? All right, if you love you, how many of you guys are going to go to like the, the path of totality? It sounds like some kind of journey that you're going on or something. All right, a few of you. That is awesome. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm one of those kind of guys uh, that just kind of like thinks about these things. I'm like, you know, it's like, it's a day, it's a thing, it's an event, it's a big deal, right? But as you start to research this, you start to like realize all the cool things that go along with this. And, and I started like researching some of the, the ways in which this thing is moving across. And it's like the shadow snakes on the ground and everything else. And so I'm like really stoked for this, but there's a problem with that because when your expectations get really high, sometimes you get disappointed by the experience, right? Have you ever had, uh, have you ever had a bad experience? A, a bad experience being like, uh, you know what, maybe you were disappointed at, at something, or, or, or maybe you, you thought this movie was going to be awesome and it turned out to be terrible, or, or, or you had a bad experience at a store, or, or maybe a restaurant. And, and a bad experience could be anything from like a total disappointment over a product that you had, or, or maybe bad customer service. Well, well for me, I, I had a bad experience with a place called Long John Silvers. Any Long John Silvers fans out there? Okay, um... If you are, then like close your ears right now because you're not going to want to hear this, all right? But when I, when I was eight years old, like I used to love going to Long John Silver's. And uh, we went to Long John Silver's, and, and that night I, I was introduced for the very first time to food poisoning, okay? And so I was up all night, and, and by the end of this thing, man, Long John Silver's left a bad taste in my mouth, quite literally, all right? It was just a bad experience. And I got to tell you, it was such a bad experience like to this very day. I've not been back to Long John Silver's, all right? Um, matter of fact, uh, every time I drive past that place when I'm back home, it's not even there anymore. I still get a sick feeling in my stomach over that bad experience. And, and depending on the, the degree of the bad experience that you have with a thing, um, what, what, what you can do is you can actually become vocal about that bad experience. At the very least, what we do with bad experiences is we veer away from them. But sometimes we feel like it's such a bad experience that I need to go tell people. I need to get online and like write a bad review about this thing. I need to, I need to go share the, the, with the Facebook world about my bad experience, right? But let me give you something else to ponder here this morning. Uh, and I think it's pertinent for the uh, point of conversation that we're going to have. How many times do you have to have a bad experience with something in order to stay away from that very thing? I think for each of us, it, it kind of varies because sometimes we have past experiences that kind of counteract that bad experience, uh, that make it a little bit more doable. It just reminds me of uh, my daughter recently went to Taco Bell, a lot of uh, fast food experiences. And so uh, we went to Taco Bell, and she's kind of particular, and so she orders a, a bean burrito, just beans, all right? She doesn't like all the extra stuff on it. And, and uh, we, we get the order, we throw it back to her. She's getting ready to bite in this thing. And I look in my rearview mirror and I see her face just turned so sour. And I'm like, sweetheart, what's wrong? And she goes, there's just onions in here. <laughs> so I looked in this thing, sure enough, there's no beans, no salt, it's just onions. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so thankfully we had enough, I don't know, can you say good experiences when you talk about Taco Bell? Moderate experiences at Taco Bell that has not completely tainted her uh, her wanting to go back there, but it has put that in the back of her mind. But truth be told, for most of us, and depending on the situation, all it takes is one bad experience with something to give up on it. 
say, I'm not going back. I'm not doing that again. Which brings us to the point of conversation today. What happens? What happens when people have bad experiences with religion? And more specifically, what happens when people have bad experiences with religious people? Now, I feel like I need to... to uh, give some context to what I mean by religious people because uh, each of us would probably define that different. Uh, you need to know about me. Like, I would never self-describe as a religious person, okay? I know I'm a pastor, but, like, I wouldn't say that I'm a religious person. However, to other people on the outside, when they look in, like, I would be a religious person to them. And by definition, that's absolutely true. Anybody who ascribes to a, to a, a religion or uh, makes decisions based upon their, their own beliefs or their faith, that, like, they are a religious person. And, and so for our conversation today, understand that if you're sitting in here right now, you showed up to church, you're listening to this online, you're pursuing faith in some way or form, you are probably a religious person to somebody. And that's going to be important because today what we're going to be looking at is when religious people do bad things. We are actually continuing on this journey called On the Move, uh, which has been a, a journey through the history of the early church. And we've been walking through the early church by looking at the historical record of the book of Acts, which is found in the, in the Bible just after the Gospels. And what it does is it recounts um, the apostles and the disciples after Jesus says, peace out, I'm gone, go be my church. Like, it records that whole history. And we're kind of toward the end of these recordings today. We're going to be in chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up or turn them on. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, we have some out in guest services. Or you can uh, get online, download a Bible app on version. That'll be beneficial because we're not going to have a whole lot of verses up there on the screen today as I walk you through these passages. So as we, as we get into Acts chapter 23, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, at the main character. His name is Paul in this particular scenario. And what we see is that Paul has these uh, interactions with these religious people called Jews. And, and it leaves a really bad taste in his mouth. Matter of fact, there's, there's so many things that happen in this passage. Any regular person that was pursuing religion in the first place would stop pursuing this. And what you're going to find is as we walk through some of the experiences that Paul had with this religious group of people, uh, you're going to find some commonalities between his experiences and maybe some of the things that you've experienced in your life, the hurts that have been caused to you by religious people. So the one thing for today is you can be incredibly religious and get things completely wrong, completely wrong. So let's take a look at bad stuff religious people do, all right? And in order to do this, I'm going to give you a little context. So if you're just joining us on this journey, you may have no clue where we're at. So, so jumping into chapter 23, what's happening is you've got this guy named Paul. And he had this encounter with Jesus that sent him on uh, a world spin. And he's just like, man, i got to go tell other people, every people, about this. And so he's been in kind of uh, Asia Minor and the Mediterranean, going around telling people about Jesus. And he decides to come back to Jerusalem. And he wants to share the good news of Jesus there. Well, when he gets there, he encounters this group of religious people called the Jews. And they don't like what he's doing. So much so that they actually take him into captivity. They bring him before their courts. Okay? Uh, now, he happens to not only be a Jew, he's also a Roman citizen. Which is important because Roman citizens have more rights than typical other people. And so in the midst of this whole thing, uh, the Roman government actually comes in and snatches him out so that they can't try him and kill him. And, and he finds himself at the end of the time together today still in Roman custody. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine all of, the, all of the offenses, if you will, that he experiences in his time in between. 
And as I was reading through this, I, I, I came up with seven different offenses that he encountered that you might find commonality with. So let's take a look at these. The first offense that we see is that religious people, understand I'm qualifying this, it's the religious people that we're seeing here. It's not all religious people, but sometimes religious people physically attack. So as we enter into the story in, in, in chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin. This is the governing body. It's like the Supreme Court uh, that he is, is there, and he's given his defense. And he says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good consciousness to this very day. And at that, the high priest, he's like the, the head dude, his name's Ananias, he ordered those standing near Paul to strike him in the mouth. All right, so, so catch this. Paul's trying to give his defense. He's trying to say, hey guys, listen, I, I feel like I've done everything I can to be in good conscience toward God. And, and the, the high priest says, punch him in the mouth. <laughs> and that's what happens. Like Paul just, like he gets jacked right in the face for, for making a statement. Now, I wish I could tell you that these kind of scenarios only happen in biblical times. But the reality is, is that when, when people have certain beliefs and strong beliefs that they can't get other people to see and to believe, and maybe these people are doing things contrary to their beliefs, oftentimes it incites something in them, almost childlike, that causes them to lash out on other people. And we see this, we see this play out in our country. We see this play out in our day. We see, we see people in the name of their religion uh, intimidating and, and, and belittling uh, people of, uh, of the Muslim faith here in our area. We, we, see, we see people with a, a certain faith that would, would, would call a, another race inferior, bullying and picking on that particular race. We see, we see people who have a certain religious belief uh, who would actually get together and beat up and drag behind a car somebody who might identify themselves as being gay, all in the name of their religion. And I hope and pray that that has not been your experience. You've not been physically attacked because of something you believe by a religious people that might believe something else. But, but understand this, guys. People causing other people physical harm because they don't believe the same thing that you do is wrong. And it always is. But that's what we see happening directly to Paul in this situation. And, and I have an appreciation for the scriptures because they don't try to like take out the humanity of people. We see that a lot with, with these characters. But right here with Paul, we see the humanity coming out in him because he reacts to the situation just the same way that you and I would react. He's like, well, you just punched me in the face. What, what is up? And so he retorts back to the high priest. He's like, God's going to smack you in the face because you just did this to me. It's like the original God smack talk, all right? So... That, that's how he responds, and it's exactly how I would respond, because it was an injustice. It was something that was not done to him that was right. And that leads us to our second offense. And the second offense is this. Religious people defend injustices, oftentimes because of position. What happens here in this situation is the people that are standing around, they know that what the high priest did was wrong. It was, it was ungodly, it was unlawful. It shouldn't have happened. There was nothing that Paul did to merit that kind of treatment. Yet instead of calling out their leader, what they do is they defend him instead. And, and they tell Paul, they say, how dare you, how dare you insult or challenge the high priest? So instead of defending the person who got hurt in the situation, they actually defend the injustice and the position. Now, unfortunately, we in our culture and society, religious people do this all the time. Some of you guys have, have come from faith backgrounds. Maybe you've experienced it personally. I'm not here to, to call out any specific religions, but understand that there's like this whole Catholic cover-up where instead of trying to defend those that were hurt and being molested and hurting these, these innocent kids, instead of doing that and standing up for them, they stood up for the priests 
And they stood up for the diocese and they stood up for, for their faith so that they wouldn't look bad and, and those positions wouldn't be discredited. I was watching a, a documentary the other day with my wife and I could only watch a little bit of it because it was about this cult leader and he declared himself to be the, the direct mouthpiece for Jesus and he used his power and his position of authority to, uh, to, to molest young girls. And the people went along with that because of the position that he held. Guys, anytime somebody takes their position of, of authority and of power and they use it for their own agenda to cover up their injustices, it's a bad thing and it causes hurt. And certainly it's that way in, in heinous situations like what we've mentioned, but it's also, it's also that way when, when somebody stands up in a position of authority and speaks pridefully to somebody or says, you can't challenge the things that I say and you shouldn't ask questions, that is an injustice just the same. And if you've ever experienced that in, in your you know, faith walk and your spiritual journey, and I'm sorry that you had to experience that, but sometimes people defend the injustices because of the position. Well, what happens is Paul is looking at the scenario, he's in a situation, it's not looking good for him. Uh, not only has he already been punched in the face, but now he's insulted the high priest, and these guys are getting pretty rowdy. And so he, he figures he's got to do something, and as he looks around, he sees that there's a, there are a group of two different types of people that make up this thing they call the Sanhedrin. They're both of the Jewish faith, but they have different backgrounds. And so in, in verse 6, if you want to follow along, this is what Paul says. He says, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, he called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and I stand on trial today because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now, it's not, it's not important for you guys today to, to fully understand the differences between these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Just understand that they had differences in the understanding of the afterlife and, and how the, the spiritual realm worked, okay? But Paul knew these differences, and he caused them out, and it caused division within those ranks. And it caused them to start fighting against each other. And this is what we know uh, about religious people. Religious people fight with each other. They fight with each other, whether it's religion against religion or, or inside of religion. It, people fight with each other, and every time that happens, innocent people get hurt. Innocent people get hurt. And, and if you've been around... Uh, religion or church or anything like that for any number of years and you've not personally experienced this kind of backbiting splits denominational differences you count yourself fortunate count yourself fortunate because this happens all too often all too often and people get hurt in the process matter of fact aaron and i were talking about this and he recalled a, a situation of a church in the bible belt where we come from and, and this church this church had this division and the division was caused because they couldn't decide whether they should use wooden coat hangers or plastic coat hangers to put in the coat rack on Sundays. Their church divided over that, guys. I mean, everybody knows if you use wooden coat hangers, you're going to hell, but that's, that's a different story, all right? So here's the deal. Those kind of things break the heart of Jesus. Jesus actually prays for his people that they be one as he is one, and we get divided over coat hangers, and people get hurt in the process. Number four, religious people condone evil actions as a means to an end. So everybody's getting riled up in the courts, and, and Paul has done his job. He's gotten the Sadducees working against the Pharisees, uh, but things are getting bad, and the Roman government sees this, and so they actually take Paul, and they get him out of there so that he doesn't get hurt, and now he's under the protection of the Roman government. 
Well, after things settle down a little bit, 40 guys get together and they make a pact with each other. They say, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. And they come, they come before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling court, and they bring their plan, their plot to this religious group and they tell them what they're gonna do. And catch this, guys. This Jewish group of God-fearing followers of God who hold to the Ten Commandments that say, thou shalt not kill, they not only condone the actions of these 40 men, they said, we'll go along with it, and they play a part. They write a letter to the governor saying, will you bring him here so that whenever the 40 men, whenever they bring him here, the 40 men can ambush him, and they can take him out. You see, religious people oftentimes condone evil actions as a means to an end. And I can tell you exactly what was going through their mind. In their mind, they were thinking, what Paul is doing is worse than what we will do in order to rid him of, of uh, um, rid us of him. What he's proclaiming is actually so bad, it is worth us breaking our own moral code in order to be able to rid ourselves of this guy. But I gotta tell you, anytime that you have to sin in order to correct uh, an injustice or something that's bad, it is never right. It is never right, and it hurts people. And we've seen this all throughout history, from the Spanish Inquisitions to the Crusades to uh, abortion clinics getting bombed. Doing things that are wrong to try to make something right is a bad thing, and religious people, we do it all the time. Moving on to chapter 24, we see uh, that Paul has now been moved from that location because they find out about this plot. And so they move him from there, they take him up to Caesarea, and now he awaits he awaits these other people from the Jerusalem to come up and, uh, and to make it their accusations against him. So he's in the custody of the Roman government. And he comes before them, and, and the Jewish guys, they send this lawyer, and he says this about them. He says, we've found that this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourselves, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. So the Jewish group makes these accusations against Paul, but what we find out both in Paul's testimony and what we find out previously is that these things didn't even happen. Like Paul didn't desecrate the temple. He didn't bring a Gentile in it. He was ceremonially clean. He wasn't trying to cause any kind of riots or disturbances. None of these things that they're actually bringing on charge against him are actually true at all. And what we understand is that religious people make judgments based upon assumptions all the time all the time. And maybe you have been there. Maybe you have been the recipient of a judgment on you, an assumption made about you. And it could be for something as simple as you know, like having a nose ring or a tattoo or the way that you're dressed or the way you present yourself. And somebody has made a judgment about you, snap judgment of who you are, what you stand for, what you believe. I know for, for me and my family, uh, when we get around certain religious crowds and we talk about some of the struggles that we have in our life, and, and particularly the mental illness that we deal with, there's judgment that comes along with that because people just don't understand it. And I got to tell you, from a personal experience like that, that hurts. I wish there was understanding. I wish people would wait a little bit longer to make a judgment on things. Maybe you've experienced that. But, but before we let ourselves off the hook too quickly, have you ever been guilty of doing that yourself? Have, have you ever come to a, a judgment on somebody because of assumptions? Maybe things that you heard about them from your friends. Maybe things uh, that you had preconceived about that kind of person or those kind of people. Guys, we have to be careful not to fall into that category ourselves. 
which leads us to, to verse 19 in, in chapter 24. Uh, Paul ends up calling out these guys that were making these, these things against him because he says, guys, I, I, didn't, I didn't cause any kind of disturbance, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. You see, what happened was uh, the Jews in Jerusalem were making these charges based upon these Jews from Asia who actually came down and slandered and gossiped about Paul, and then they didn't even have the guts to show up in court to defend what they said about Paul. What we, what we understand is that religious people oftentimes don't take responsibilities for the things that they say. And I, I would imagine that of the things that we've experienced so far, this might be the one that is, that is most universal, the things that we've all experienced at some degree and some level. Is, is that people oftentimes will talk behind our back and they'll say things that are untrue about you or maybe they are true, but they're not willing to communicate those to your face. And anytime that happens, that creates a bad culture and it creates a bad experience and people want to give up on church and they want to give up on religion. We're guilty of doing those things. Finally, at the end of chapter 24 and verse 27, we see uh, Paul. It says, when two years have passed, Felix, who was the governor at the time, he succeeded by a guy named Festus, and because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Catch this, guys. Paul gets captured, put into prison, all because of trumped-up charges, things that were not even accurate about him, and he stays there for two years. Two years because of this. And you'll find out in the coming weeks, he actually stays in Roman captivity for, for the rest of, of the time that we get to see his life. But for two years, he stays in captivity because religious people use their power to keep people captive. Now, I, I'm making an assumption for you that you've probably not been uh, in, enchained by religious people before. You've never been put in prison or, or, or shackled up. But, but religion keeps people captive all the time. And you know how they do it? Through guilt and shame and fear. Because of that, people are, are, are kept captive all the time. Uh, guys, I know people who won't enter into the, the doors of a church or pursue religion at all because of the shame that has been placed upon them by religious people. I know people that, that won't take the step of actually getting baptized because of the guilt that they hold. Not because they don't want to be baptized, but because somebody told them they're not good enough, that they have to clean their life up before they can actually come to God. I was actually talking to a friend of mine this past week, and they were sharing some of their story of their past hurt from another church most recently. And, and thank goodness, because of their experience, they've not stopped pursuing God, and they've not, they've not stopped going to church, but because of fear, they've become impotent in the place that they're here. They've decided not to serve because they fear that they will be treated in this church the same way that they were treated in a previous church, that they'll be kicked out, and then they have to start all over again. They have to remove their family, and they won't be accepted. That fear is a captivity. And it's religious people that have put people there. Guys, you can't be incredibly, you can be incredibly religious, and you can get things completely wrong. And that's exactly what we see happening to Paul in this text and what you've probably experienced in your own life. There's a Barna poll that was in 2010, and it, said that, uh, uh, it suggests that four out of ten people cite that they don't go to church because of neg negative experiences they've had with churches and with congregants. Now, that's been seven years ago. I guarantee that number has increased by my own conversations with people. I would say that this is probably the number one reason why people won't show up on Sunday, because they've had bad experiences with religious people. 
That's the, that's the fact of the matter. Guys, we have to understand that we can't, we can't be like Ed DeBevix and give people a horrible experience and expect them to come back. And for those of you all that don't know what Ed DeBevix is, I've, I, I got a little bit of video for you. Check this out. For more than 30 years, Ed DeBevix has been serving up a side of sass with all of their entrees. And this week, one of their servers, her name is Cherry, went viral when a family recorded their interaction. Now, I actually got the chance to talk with her all about the attention, so let's take a look. Uh, I'd like a side coffee. I'd love to get you one, but I'll shut you up. What do you want? Can I get some You're like 35. The kids' menu is eight and under. You should have something on the adult menu. Oh, my God. Do I look like I'm in charge of anything? All right, that's fine. You know what? Fine. You want to cheap out? That's cool. What are you drinking? What are you drinking? What are you drinking? What are you drinking? Your lemonade is going to be this big because you're ordering up the kids' menu, and I'm not refilling it for you. What you Let's save you money so you can figure out how to leave me a decent tip, okay? Because right now I have no prayer at all. You know what, Grandpa? If I was nice to you, I'd get canned, okay? If you want good service, you go somewhere else. I know Hooters is probably more your speed. You came here on purpose. <laughs> Those of you all are unfamiliar with this place. It's a place in Chicago, and they like, like they actually make their name by being rude to people. Like people show up so that they can be like yelled at and insulted and, and, uh, and they, they, they come in droves to be able to experience this. Uh, but guys, uh, we cannot expect in our personal lives or in the places that we gather to treat people like that and expect them to want to come back and to want more or to adapt to the things that we believe. It just doesn't work that way because when we hurt people on a spiritual level, it goes deeper. Spiritual wounds, for some reason, affect us more. There's a, there's a gal named uh, Carol uh, Merritt, and she, she defines it this way when she talks about spiritual wounds hurting people. She says, when a person has been spiritually wounded, that trauma carries the weight of God with it. The pain becomes entangled with our intimate knowledge of who God is, so we lose that link with something larger. When we try to maintain this vital connection with God, uh, we begin to think that God is the one who actually hurt us. So God must be cruel, or perhaps some tainted, twisted way uh, we, we deserve the punishment. The spiritual wounds hurt deep. And here's what I know. I know that many of you that are sitting in here right now, or maybe listening to this online, you, you are recipients of the hurt that are caused, the spiritual wounds that have been made on you. Now, for whatever reason, Aaron and I have just been watching this happen, but Trace is becoming a place where hurting people are showing up and trying to heal. I, I can imagine that some of you guys are in here for the very first time today in a long time in a church. It's, it's taking you years, maybe therapy, to actually show up here because of of your past bad experiences with church. Some of you guys are, are actually pursuing faith and religion for the first time, maybe ever, because of, of how things were handled spiritually in the past for you. You didn't want anything to do with it, but you've taken a step today, and I gotta tell you, I commend you. I commend you for being here. I commend you for, for checking it out, for not allowing that bad experience with somebody or something in the past to taint the most important pursuit of your life. And I feel the need to tell you a little something about our church, about who we are, who we want to be, the culture that we're trying to create. What you need to understand about us is that we try our hardest not to be religious. 
And what I mean by that is, is, is when I think of religion, I think of the do's and the don'ts and the shoulds and the odds and the rules and the regulations and the looking down on. Guys, that is not who we want to be. Because we are not motivated by our religion. We are motivated by our relationship with a God who went to the extent of laying down the life of his one and only son so that we could have love. That was love expressed to us. And the way that he communicates that we're supposed to express that love is by extending both truth and grace to people in the fullness of both of those things. And that's actually where we derive our name, Trace. That's one of the meanings is is truth and grace, the fullness of those things. So what's going to happen when you come here? You're going to hear us speak the truth. And that that truth may be contrary to things that you believe or, or, or beliefs that you hold to. Understand that we are going to not back down from those, but we're going to do it full of grace. Because this is a place where you can come and actually disagree with us and have different beliefs and sit and soak in a way that allows you to formulate things and allow God's Spirit and His Word to be able to speak to you without being judged. We hold truth and grace because we think that that is the formula for true love. I want to steal a a saying from another church here in town because we don't have any shame in stealing good ideas from other churches, all right? But this is something that they say that really, I I think, exemplifies the kind of place that we are. And, and, And here's what they say. Here's what I'm saying to you. We aren't a church of people who used to be like you. We're not a church of people who tolerate people like you. We're not a group of people who are trying to fix you. We're people that are just like you. You see, Aaron, our our lead pastor, and myself, and and others who make up the leadership of this church, guys, we have our own sin struggles. We have to check our pride. We have to caution ourselves. We have to slow down. We get things wrong. And unfortunately, we hurt people too. Guys, I, (laughs) I am the cause. I am the reason for other people's bad religious experiences at times. It pains me to say that, but I know, I know that it's true. But the difference between us and, and the religious group that we looked at today that was pursuing Paul is that when we get things wrong, we are going to acknowledge it. We are going to apologize, and we're going to call it out for what it is, and we're going to say sorry. Because our intention is not to hurt and to get our own way like these guys. Our intention is to be able to help and to heal. And I can tell you this, if you decide to stick around here, Trace, or pursue a relationship with Jesus, I cannot promise you that you will not get hurt. It may even be inevitable. But I can tell you this about the place and the culture that we're creating. That we are doing our best to create a place where hurting people can heal and where hurtful people can become helpful. That's the kind of place that we want to be. That's the kind of culture that we are creating because you can be incredibly religious and get things incredibly wrong. Guys, we don't want to get it wrong. So let me just, let me speak to two groups of people here today and it might be the same people. If you happen to be one of those people that have experienced those hurts by religious people, you're actually licking your wounds today. Maybe I've torn off some scabs from things that have happened in your past. Can you allow me to, to, to speak not only on, on behalf of myself, on behalf of the church, but maybe even on behalf of, of Jesus? Because many of those things have been done in his name, and what he would want you to know is that he's sorry. He's sorry that you've had to endure that hurt. He's sorry that you've 
had to endure that pain. That is not his intent. That is not what he wants from his people. But don't give up on Jesus. Don't, don't leave his church unnecessarily. Persevere through the, through the pain and, and, and come be a part of a place where you can actually heal through those things. To the other group, maybe you find yourself being one of those religious people. Maybe, maybe you have the opportunity to learn from the hurt that you've experienced and now you're on this side where people will define you as being their religious experience. Can I ask you to please, please be mindful that you might be the one interaction with somebody that will either send them pursuing or, or stop their pursuit completely. And I have a feeling that, that some of us, if we, if we tracked it back in our mind, we can go back and realize that we were actually somebody else's bad religious experience. And we might need to do some business today. We might need to call somebody up or text them or go visit them and just apologize. Guys, the best way that I know how we can not be that kind of person, that we cannot be the kind of people that, that get it wrong, is that we can come to understand God's grace at a fuller extent. Because this is what I know to be true. The, the better you understand the extent of God's grace, the less you hurt people. Not that you won't ever hurt people, but when you understand God's grace in your life, what he's actually done and what you have come from, when you're reminded of that, it makes you more sympathetic and empathetic to other people. It makes you more Christ-minded to be able to see people as he sees them. And so we're going to enter into a time that we call our response time, which we do every week here at Trace. Uh, and there will be some instructions that will come up on the screen here in a minute. But as we enter into that, I want to, I want to read to you uh, from a passage in Titus chapter 3 that for me is a place that I go to be reminded of the grace of God so that I can be a helpful person and not a hurtful person. Chapter 3 verse 3 says, At one time we too, I too, was foolish disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, hurting people. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. Will you pray with me? Father, we... Uh, we thank you that your pursuit of us is, is grander, it's stronger, it's bigger than any of our past bad experiences with people, religious people in general, maybe your people. Lord, I pray that first and foremost you would forgive us when we have actually misrepresented you when we have left a bad taste in somebody else's mouth, when we have been that experience that has caused people to veer away. And I pray that you would help us to acknowledge that and learn from that and that we might, we might not be that in the future. But Father, I pray for so many of us that are sitting in here right now that have these hurts that are deep, that you would start that healing process and that you would allow this church to be the kind of place we're hurting people and truly heal. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.